We are making a slight pivot. And when I say the word pivot, two things always come to my mind. <laughs> Rocks. Huh? Friends. Oh, friends. All right, so friends is the first one. Ross trying to get the couch up the stairs. Pivot! Pivot! Anyway, basketball is a good guess, but that's not the first one. The other one is like the year of 2020. Everything was a pivot. Did you pivot? Did you pivot? Did you pivot? Okay. You got tired of that word. All right, but here's the deal. We decided... Huh? It's going. It's going. Um, so... Um, we were going to, I don't know if anybody heard Joel say we were going to go into Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, then he rethought that and kind of said, he got some advice at one point. Don't do like a heavy series in the summer. Like keep it kind of chill. You know, people are in and out, going on vacation, all that. Um, so we're going to pivot and do one series here at the beginning of the summer on one of our values, and which is the value of honor. So we're going to read that in a second. And then we're going to do a series on the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so that's the summer, and then in the fall we'll go back to Ezra and Nehemiah and jump into all of that. So, just want to make that announcement. I hope your summer started out well. I know you said today doesn't feel like summer very much, but I did see a cactus on my weather app for Wednesday. Okay? So get ready. 90 degrees, I think, is coming soon. So if you like that sort of thing, it's going to get warmer. Um, uh, so, we are going to jump into this value of honor, um, but first I want to pray. Just ask the Holy Spirit to speak and to, and to be revealing um, himself this morning. So, Jesus, oh, Lord, we love you, and it was so good to be with you in worship. Lord, we receive that love, or the first love that came before we did anything. We didn't earn it, Lord. You just freely gave it. So, Lord, would you pour it out this morning? Pour out your love on us. Pour out your word. Um, and whatever we need, Lord, this morning, would you use these words? Would you use uh, just the power of your Holy Spirit to translate things into our hearts? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, let's read this value of honor. Why don't we just all read it together? Sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't. Read it loud and proud. And let's follow along. All right. Jesus is deeply concerned for the unity of his people, evidence in their love for one another. For his sake, we cultivate a culture of listening to one another and forgiving one another. We champion and celebrate each other's calling. We submit to each other's leadership. Ours is a culture of invitation where we experience belonging and also a challenge where we risk speaking truth to one another. The kingdom moves along relational lines when our lives are linked together for God's purposes. So I think I'm going to use this because my voice feels a little tired this morning. That's why I didn't really sing. Um, but... Um, I'll go back to that first slide um, real quick. Um, yeah, Jesus is, so where we're going to land today um, is on this first segment here. Jesus is deeply concerned for the unity of his people. And I was really, there was a few already examples already that I was like, this is great. John, you referenced this painting. I'm going to mention that in a second. That's really cool. Oh, wow. Um, the, the other picture of unity that I saw, Devante and Kiara, could y'all stand up? Oh God, please, no. Turn around, turn around. Do you see these guys? Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Kiara.
PR was not happy when Devontae walked in wearing the same exact thing she was. She was so... We look she was just perturbed. Is the Devontae was so happy when they were perturbed. Um, it was kind of funny. I don't know if you, I was. I had an RA in college, resident assistant, who him and his girlfriend dressed like every single day. If you did that, that's more power to you. But I was like, man, I could not do that. So, it's a good job, guys. You're a picture of unity. But honestly, the coolest picture I thought of unity today was, did anybody notice we were jamming there for a second? And then some more people came in. And Angelica, you stopped playing the tambourine for a second because we were sitting, we were sorting out sitting situations. And I actually thought to myself, this is a picture of unity. Amen. Because for a second, I was like, we are missing something. We were like jamming, oh. and then the tambourine went out. And it was like, Angelica, play that tambourine! We're jamming! And, it was, and that, to me, was like, oh my gosh, that's the sermon. Yeah. A little bit of the sermon this morning. Angelica brought something. Angelica, you guys know Angelica, she's quiet, okay? Yeah. But when she, you, you play that tambourine, and we all hear it. And yeah. that is something oh, you yeah. bring yeah. to the room, to the mix, to the body. And we were missing it. I was missing it when you dropped out there for a second. And that is a little bit about what I, what I want to yeah. talk about today. It's about unity, and it's about, um, and we're going to tie that into this value, this bigger value of honor. And I truly believe, here's what I believe. I believe God has done something special among us in this little movement where it is so countercultural to the world's way of doing things. We have such, we, God has built here a culture of being able to honor people for what they contribute to the body. And not to have this culture. I feel like the world is all about comparing and complaining about how other people do things and how I would have done it differently. I, it's sad, but I feel like the, besides the weather, the easiest way to strike up a conversation with somebody is to complain about something. Mm -hmm. and, you, and then you have a common enemy and you complain together. It's terrible. Like I've been in some environments where I was like, all these people are doing is complaining, 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 but they feel like some unity in that complaint. But it's not, that's not God's kind of unity. And I feel like what God is building among us is a value of, you know, the word honor means high respect or great esteem. And I think God has done something special. I think he's done it through humility. I'm going to mention that a few times. But God wants to keep building this value in our culture where it's built on a real, genuine unity where we're able to elevate and support and like champion, like this thing says, and celebrate each other's callings of victory. But it takes, it takes a lot of work. So we're going to get into that a little bit. We're going to start here with Jesus' concern for unity among us. And for that, if you want to pull out your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 17. Okay? So let me set it up for you. John 17 is sometimes called like the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Okay? John 13 starts with Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the upper room. And the following chapters, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, are often called the farewell discourse of Jesus. So you can imagine, this is Jesus. They're in the upper room together. He's about to get arrested. And he's just like giving them all this stuff, all that he wants to share. Like, like the tearjerker movie where the mom reported her last words for her kid that's going there. You know, like that kind of stuff. Like, this is like all the stuff Jesus wants to pass on and give to these guys. And we get to chapter 17, and 
he begins this prayer, this prayer to his father. Okay, now this prayer, I don't know if you know some of you guys may have been in a situation before like this. Somebody prays, but they're really actually teaching. You know what I mean? Like they're praying, but they're like trying to they're trying to tell people something in their prayer. Well, Jesus is totally doing that. Okay, he is praying, but it's for the benefit of the disciples. Now the eleven disciples, because Judas has left the room at this point. So he's there with his 11 um, around the communion table, and he begins to pray. And what I want you to do first is I'm going to read this passage, a little bit more of it than we're going to focus on. But I want you to hear this. I want you to put yourself in the moment for just a second. So I'm going to put scripture up, but not yet. Not yet, Tim. We're going to read this from the message. And I want you to close your eyes if you can. And picture yourself around the table with Jesus and the 11 disciples. And I want you to hear what, what Jesus is trying to communicate about his heart here for these guys. All right. Now, I'm returning to you. So Jesus is talking to God. So he, when it's I'm returning to you, the Father. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy completed in them. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it, because they didn't join the world's ways, just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes so they'll be truth consecrated in their mission. I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. Father, I want those you gave me to be with me right where I am so they can see my glory, the splendor you gave me, having loved me long before there ever was a world. Righteous Father, the world has never known you, but I have known you. These, and these disciples know that you sent me on this mission. I have made your very being known to them, who you are and what you do, and continue to make it known so that your love for me might be in them exactly as I am in them. So this morning we're going to focus in on just four of those verses. But I wanted to read that whole thing and read it in a different translation because I want you to see that Jesus really, really cares about this group right here. And not just them. I don't know if you've caught this. You may have heard this before. He's not just praying for these 11. He's praying for us too. So we're going to look at that in a second. He's praying for all who will believe in me. And his prayer and what he really cares about is unity among believers, all believers. So look at verses 20 through 23. And Tim, you can put these on the screen. I want to read it one more time. And this is the NIV. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I and you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So Jesus, I want to tell you four observations that I have about the unity that Jesus is talking about. Okay? This isn't three points, and they all don't all start with the same letter, so we just have to try to remember, okay? But first, the model is Jesus and the Father. And really, I want to point out the whole truth. Because Jesus is talking about him and the Father, but in, in all over Scripture, we see the picture of the whole Trinity. And that's actually why I wanted to point out this painting this morning, because I knew this painting was in here. And, uh, and so I'm glad John already explained it. I don't have to argue, I don't have to explain it. So this is representative of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want to point out a word to you. This is a word. I went to Bible college and paid a lot of money, and I got to learn a word. Okay. And Helen, or if anybody was at TFC with Dr. Howard, you may remember this word. I think it was him that taught it. It's the word perichoresis. Everybody say perichoresis. 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 Helen, what does it mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right. This is so perichoresis is the Greek word for circle dance. Okay. I want to read you this, this quote about perichoresis, all right? The theologians in the early church tried to describe the wonderful reality that we call Trinity. And, um, if you've ever been, has anybody ever been to a Greek wedding? Greek wedding? I have one. Yay! You had a Greek wedding. All right. So, so all right. <laughs> if you've been to a Greek wedding or you had a Greek wedding, you may have seen their distinctive way of dancing. It's actually called perichoresis, all right? There's never two dancers. There's got to be at least three dancers. And they start to go in circles, weaving in and out this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster and faster, all the while staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they're dancing so quickly, yet so effortlessly, that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. Their individual identities are part of a larger dance. The early church fathers and mothers looked at that dance, perichoresis, and said, that's what the Trinity is like. It's a harmonious set of relationships in which there is mutual giving and receiving. This relationship is called love, and that's what the Trinity is all about. The perichoresis is the dance of love. All right? And the, the, I've actually heard it said the Trinity is one because they are three. It kind of, kind of blows your mind for a second, okay? They're actually one because they are three distinct persons working in perfect harmony. That they become that blur of a dance. That they are so united. And here's the deal. For us as the church, um, when we talk about unity amongst each other, we are not talking about, um, we are not talking about me and Kiara and John Weber doing a circle dance together. That's not what it is, actually. Okay? <laughs> I thought about trying to rehearse something to see if we could pull it off, but I didn't think it would be a very good idea. All right? I've seen PR and Devante dance at their wedding, and their skills are a little bit higher than mine. Um, I have a rhythm, but I don't. Anyway, so that's actually not the picture. The picture is me and Kiara and John Weber and God the Father, and God the Son, yeah. and God the Holy Spirit. Wow. 
dancing and moving together. And without the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they're like, it's just people trying to get together and you know how that works. Um, and so one of, the, one of my main points today is that, is that over and over, I'm going to say this I think a few times, is what do we say about ourselves? We are a Christ-centered, Spirit-God, family on mission. And what I want to point out is there is not going to be unity if we are not centered on Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and living as a family on mission. When you get one of those things out of whack, it's going to get It's going to all get out of whack. So the model for us in this unity is Jesus, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit moving together in perfect harmony and we joining in with them. All right, next, the product of this unity is it's got to be genuine, all right? And what I mean here is this is not plastic unity. It's not fake. It can't, it can't come about by just everybody being like, well, let's just all get along and everything's going to be okay. And it's all going to be great. All right? Can you look around the room for a minute. Look around at the faces in this room. There is, you got, we are a weird group. All right? There, there, we are young and old and white and black and Asian and maybe Latina, Panamanian. We are, we are mothers and daughters and fathers and sons and grandparents and what we are all kinds of things, okay? There is no way that this thing is going to be easy. You have your preferences, I have my preferences. You have your expectations, I have my expectations. And when I thought about this sermon, I thought about, you know, Jesus says nice things about unity and peace. All right, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Okay, that's the Beatitudes, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But he also says some really hard things, doesn't he? He says, um, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Whoa, Jesus. <laughs> I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Um, and, he, and he seems to come pretty hard, to uh, come down pretty hard on some of the like main church people of the day, like the religious leaders, right? So I, I, as I got into the sermon, I thought, man, Jesus has some really hard words, um, but he's the one here praying for unity. Mm. What in the world? How do I, you know, marry those two? And I think that overall, I feel like Jesus. We talk about this a lot. We talk about invitation and challenge, okay? Jesus was a master of invitation and challenge. Um, if you've never seen, uh, if you've never seen this, you should go one time and watch the video of the Horse Whisperer. Um, it was a movie, but then there's an actual guy and he trains horses. And instead of beating the horses, he learns this dance with the horse of invitation and challenge. Invitation, come a little closer. Now I'm going to challenge you. And this is how horses like break into uh, a group of horses. This is how they do it. So you can Google it, YouTube, like the actual horse whisperer guy, and he like puts it on display. Jesus was a master at like inviting people to follow him, but then challenging them and being like, okay, come be with me. You get to go everywhere with me, but you don't get to be, stay the same person forever. You have to like come up. You have to like, oh, what did he say? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said, oh, don't go bury your father. Like, they can bury their own selves. Come and follow me. If you're not ready to put your hand in the plow, 
then you don't even think about it. Just go home. All right? Jesus says some hard, challenging things. But he also invites people into his life. And so I'm not getting it. I, I, you know, this isn't going to be like how do we achieve unity, like all the different dynamics. But let me tell you, um, unity is difficult. All right? It's going to be hard. And it's going to take a heavy dose of humility. Um, it's going to mean that you know sometimes the hard word or the difficult word has to be said. The word of challenge has to be said. It's going to mean we're probably going to be offended at times. It's going to mean that we have to repent of our own sin and we have to forgive other people when they ask for forgiveness. It's difficult. Um, who's ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, big name. Uh, he tried to he tried to kill Hitler. Um, I don't know if you knew that about him. Um, he, he got assassinated for trying to assassinate. I mean, not assassinate. He got put to death for trying to assassinate Hitler. Pretty crazy. Um, you can read all about his life. Um, but he was somebody who, uh, early on in Christian community, uh, he wrote a, uh, a really important book called Life Together. And I want to let some of Bonhoeffer preach to us this morning. I didn't have time to put these quotes on the screen. But, but Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, is talking about all the difficult things that come with trying to like live together and be unified. And some of his points are just great. So I'm going to let him make a few points. So first of all, I'm going to point out three barriers to unity that Bonhoeffer points out. One is our, these aren't on there, so don't worry about it. One is our own dreams or desires or expectations. Listen to this quote from Bonhoeffer. He said, Every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. To, to like sum that up even shorter, he says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Really powerful. We come into something hoping this like idyllic, like it's going to be perfect, like oh, we're all just Christians. Can't we just all get along? It's just going to be awesome. It's not like Bonhoeffer's like, no, you have to really love people. Not just your idea of what it's going to be. You have to love the community itself. Second, um, the second barrier is uh, just what I said earlier about like comparing ourselves to others and complaining about others. Listen to this point. If my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller or less detestable in comparison with the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than my own? Um, I think, you know, this is part of that humility. We have to understand, like, we are all coming to this thing with our own baggage and our own mess. Like, and if we sit here and think their baggage and their mess is worse than my baggage and my mess, that's never, unity is never going to be achieved. His solution for this, I love this. He says, I no longer can condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. You have trouble with somebody? Pray for them. Consistently Pray for them and see what God does in your heart towards them. Uh, lastly, 
Uh, I think that, and I've kind of already referenced this, Bonhoeffer speaks against this idea of wishful thinking, that everything will go well, people get along, there won't be any conflict. He says this, reproof is unavoidable. God's word, reproof meaning like having to correct somebody or challenge them. God's word demands it when a brother falls into open sin. Nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness, listen to this, more cruel, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns one another to his sin. Like just letting them live in their sin. Like, oh, I'm just, I don't want to upset them, I just want to, okay. But nothing can be more compassionate than the rebuke, the rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. So I think Bonhoeffer gives us this idea, and I just want to leave us with this. This idea of unity, I mean, not leave us, leave us, but at this point. This is going to take some work. Um, it's not easy. It's going to take saying hard things. Now, this is not a license to, like, go correcting everybody all the time because you feel like you got it all right. Like, right? Jesus said, like, take the speck. Uh, I mean, take the log out of your own eye before you go trying to fix the speck in other people's eyes. But if we love one another, if we love each other more than we just love, like, this idea of, like, oh, everybody gets along, then there will be times that we have to do and say, like, difficult things and have hard conversations. And again, this is why we have to be centered on Christ, empowered by the Spirit, and living as a family on mission. Because otherwise, we get off on all kinds of tangents that aren't even important. And that leads me to my next point. Is that, okay, so I said first, first of all, the, um, the model is the Trinity. Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, the product is genuine. It's not plastic. The context is mission. Okay, so what did Jesus say? Look in your Bibles in verse 18. Oh, just close it. All right. He says, he's talking to his father, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Okay? So the context for this conversation is Jesus sending these guys into the world to be witnesses. And you guys know what's going to happen. They are going to, um, you know, wait on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to come. The church is going to get kicked off, and all these things are going to take place in their lives. It's all in this context of mission and, and, uh, and putting these guys out there in the world, sending them into the world. So there's this concept that we learned about when we were first learning about missional community. It's, a, it's this word called, uh, sociologists call communitas. Okay, everybody say communitas. Communitas. All right. So communitas is a sociological concept about like when a group of people is put together and they, they are faced with like an overwhelming task, um, what happens and what and how the group responds um, is this idea of communitas. Now, the, the study that I was reading in this book, there's a guy by the name of Alan Hirsch, and he was talking about this, and he was talking about an African village who as a um, rite of passage for all their young adult men, or I don't know what age they were, I can't remember, like, imagine, like, 16, 17, 18-year-old guys. They take them out into the bush. They give them just enough of what they need to survive, and they leave them there. The elders of the community leave them out in the bush. I mean, think lions and tigers and bears, you know? Oh, my. And, and then, you know, they just have to fend for themselves for, I don't know, like a week, two weeks. I don't know. So they, I think they have weapons, but they have to kill their food. They have to protect themselves. And what do you think happens in a group like that? Somebody tell me. What do you think? Conflict. They come together. Huh? They learn to love. They learn to love the community. I would imagine, like, 
some, yeah, they, they are like, they, they are like coming together in the tightest way possible. Never to be the same again, like, from that experience. I can imagine you do that, and those are like, long, like, you know, brothers in arms, you know what I mean? And what, what happens in a group like that? Like, somebody's strengths rise up, and it's like, oh, you're the best shooter in the group. You go kill something. Somebody is like, oh, I can make a fire, okay? So they, you know, they're the one making the fire. Somebody is like, I can stay up all night and watch and make sure, you know, you know all this kind of stuff. I can build a shelter. All these things have to happen. People have to play their part, and and you have to work together. Think about, you know, you guys probably have some examples of this in your own life. Um, you know, I think about sports, playing sports with people. When you are put on a team and you are working towards a common goal and championship and all this, you either fall apart and like, you know, or you really, really come together, and people um, and people feel this bond that they never felt before. And let me tell you what happens when you're in that context. Where does pettiness go? There is no time for pettiness. There's no time for non-essentials. There's no time for things that don't matter, okay? Because you, have, you are fixed on this goal, and that is all you care about. That is what a Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, family-on mission is supposed to be. It's like we can't care about the color of the carpet. We can't care about, like, what songs we sing on Sunday morning. We don't need to care. Like, there's so many things that we, and I thank God, like, this is our testimony here at the Gospel Tab. There are just so many things we don't have to care about that, like, I think a lot of uh, people trying to be unified, they have to care about. Like, is everybody, is, you know, like, you have to care about people's needs being met because you love each other. But you don't have to care about preferences or things that don't matter to Jesus. All right? So... The, the context in this passage is mission. And I think for us, the word is we have to stay on mission or else the pettiness and the preferences will creep back in. All right. Lastly, this is my last observation, is that the outcome is a powerful witness. All right. So look at verse 21. In verse 21, Jesus says this to the Father. He says, <clears throat> may the second half of the verse. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He says in verse 23, I am them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Oh, Jesus is a rapper. I am them and you and me brought to complete unity. Okay. John is not a rapper. This is why we need the body. All right. All right. Um, so he said, oh, sorry, I think I got off that. Why, why for this unity? He says in verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. It sounds a lot like, like two chapters, or, I'm sorry, four chapters back in, in this same discourse. What does he say? A new command in chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you... Love one another. All right? So he's saying the world is going to see something different. The world is going to see something unique. If a body of people can come together. Here's the deal. I think um, when you talk about unity in the church, like there's no way we can think about this on a broad scale. Like not even like I can't even imagine. Like I think some people get off on like, oh, we should just not have any denominations. We should just all love Jesus. We're going to have differences. 
But if a local, if this group of people in this room and our bigger gospel tab family, if we learn how to walk in unity, people in Alapopa and Beaver County are going to see something vastly different from what they see, like the other six days of the week, or sorry, in their other interactions with people, they are going to see something like remarkably different than what the world is used to. And let me tell you. I think there's been a lot in my generation, there's been a lot of people who have left the church. There's like this whole movement of like deconstructing your faith. And really, you know what? They left Jesus, not because of Jesus. They left Jesus because of the church. They left Jesus because of the people who said they loved Jesus, but treated them poorly and couldn't get along. And couldn't, like they, they, there's probably some, some other reasons, but there are so many people who left Jesus because of what they saw in the church. And that hurts my heart. There were some words uh, of a song that came to my mind when I was doing this sermon. Listen to these words. My first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man. No, my first allegiance is not to democracy or blood. It's to a king and a kingdom. And this guy is kind of talking about like how this tendency in our country to be all like hyper-nationalistic about like you know, America, and this is, you know, like, do we worship America, or are we actually following Jesus? And he's pointing us to following Jesus, the king, and his kingdom, instead of any other allegiances. Um, those all come second, or, you know, or come after that. Um, but sadly, this is a guy, his name is Derek Webb, he left the church himself. Um, and he was a part of a Christian singing group way back in the day called Cadence Call, you remember it, extra credit, okay? Um, they're actually getting back together. It's kind of weird because he's not a believer anymore and they're coming back together. It's weird. He works at a church, but he doesn't believe in Jesus anymore. Wow. Really weird. But he is, I follow him on Twitter. My sister, my sister actually went on a date with him one time. Um, <laughs> weird, weird story, okay? Um, he's short and bald and she said it wasn't attractive looking down at his short bald. Oh, that's, that's bad. I should have said that. <laughs> um, all right, but Derek Webb has left Jesus, and I, I think for so many reasons, like what I'm saying, because the church was not this beautiful picture of being Christ-centered, spirit-empowered family on mission. And so many other folks are in that place. And one thing I love about the Christian and Missionary Alliance is that, you know, our, the tagline is all of Jesus for all the world. And I love that it's really not about all these secondary things. It's about Jesus. Now, other things are going to come up. Like, there's, there's going to be disagreements. And here's, like, hear what I'm not saying today. That, and remember, I said the invitation and challenge thing. I'm not saying you throw all the standards or convictions out the window. That we just go with whatever our truth is. And if your truth is that, and my truth is that, then we can just figure out how to get along. That's not the model of Jesus at all. But if we're following after Jesus with all our hearts, there are some things that just don't matter. Like I grew up in in an environment where people argued about Calvinism and Arminianism. And if you have no idea what that argument is, good on you, okay? Like you don't, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. Like people just need to follow Jesus and they do or they don't. It doesn't matter how it all works behind the scenes. Like we'll let God handle some of that stuff. Like there are some things where we just need to set those things aside and follow Jesus. Um, 
not setting aside convictions and standards and truth and all of that. All right? So let me recap real quick, and we're going to bring it to, to, uh, to an end here with this story. All right? So we, we see in this passage the model is the Trinity. The product is genuine. The outcome, I'm sorry, the context is mission, and the outcome is a powerful witness. And I believe the only way we do that as a body here at the Gospel Tab is that we remain centered on Jesus with all our hearts, asking the Holy Spirit to empower us and fill us in ways we cannot, and to live as a family on mission with a huge dose of humility mixed in. All right, that's the recipe. If you had to go make this stuff at home for your kids, make it that way, all right? about pancakes right now. All right? But when we drift from that, we get into all kinds of unhealthy places. Now, I want to tell you a story, okay? So I want to wrap this back to honor. So what does all this unity stuff have to do with honoring each other? All right, so Joel and I went to the Tampa Underground, which is a church we've learned from a lot over the years. But this was our first time down there. It was uh, fall of 2018. And we went down there to experience and see what was going on. You may have heard this story before um, from Joel. But we, we, did some act, we did some learning, but we also did some activities. So one of the activities they took us to do was um, we went to the campus of the University of South Florida, a uh, big school, and we went um, as guests and to learn from the folks that do InterVarsity Christian Fellowship there on the campus, which is an international like, campus fellowship. Well, these people were in the Tampa Underground Network, and we were going to, um, to like, to do an activity where they sent us out on the campus like to share the gospel with people. And they, they told us about their ministry, and they told us, you know, like, we, we know everybody kind of has a different way of doing this, but here's what we've developed that's really helpful on this campus, where they had little cards, and, we, and like, it was, a, it was a method for sharing the gospel, kind of like what John, you were talking about last week. They gave us that method, they said, like, we use this, this is great, this works here to engage students. Well, Joel and I were kind of like, you know, this, we don't really love methods. We kind of just like to go talk to somebody, see if we can pray for them, and, you know, just kind of engage in the conversation and see what Jesus does. So that's what we did. We went out. We had a great interaction with this guy. I'm still friends with him on Facebook. I don't know why people do that. You meet somebody once and then you're friends on Facebook and then you never, like, I kind of snooze them because I'm like, why? I don't Sorry, I'm never going to see you again in my life. But anyway, he, it was enough of an impactful relationship. He became friends with us on Facebook. And so we got back to the debrief, and we were like, oh, we had a great interaction. And we kind of told him, like, you know, you know, well, we, this is kind of how we do it. So this is kind of what we did. And one of the leaders from Tampa Underground was like, you know what? See, here we have this culture where you're not from here the University of South Florida, these people are from here. And you stepped onto their campus and decided, like, you knew better than they did. Um, and he, I mean, it wasn't like the hardest word ever. I'm kind of making it sound hard. It wasn't like super confrontational. But he said, we have a culture here where it's like, when I, he was like one of the founding members of the Tampa Underground. He was like, when I go into this person's world, I submit to them. Like, this, they're the missionary in this context. And that's how I honor them. And, you know, when they come into my context and I tell them this is kind of how we do it here, well, then they submit, you know, to my leadership in that way. And in that way, you live together in this beautiful unity 
together, like where you have all these different parts. Like we have the tambourine. Like I can, I couldn't probably play the tambourine like Angelica does. So like I want to submit to your tambourine playing, Angelica. All right. So like we have all these different pieces, and we get to we get to see God at work over here. We get to see God at work over here. God at work over here, using you and your gifts. You and your gifts, everybody gets to play, everybody gets to step out in faith and do things, and we get to celebrate the things that God is doing, not try to, you know, hoard it all and control it. Um, and I think what this Tampa story illustrates is without the unity that Jesus prayed for, we're often out building our own little kingdoms. Mm, we're comparing ourselves to the other people building their kingdom over there. And we're speaking poorly of the ones that build it differently than the way we build it. All right. But Jesus's unity means that there is one kingdom with many different expressions to it. And we can champion the way God uses one person over here and rejoice in the way he uses another person over there. There's like endless room for people to jump in and get involved. There's limitless grace for people to try and fail without getting shamed or discarded. And we get to be a part of, just like this icon up here, this painting, we get to be a part of the circle dance with the Holy Trinity. And the Holy Spirit might tell John Weber to go do something over here, and he might tell Devontae or Lily Kay or Chris or Zane or Karen. He might tell us to do different things, but we're all a part of this one dance centered around Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and living out the mission that God has for us. So I want to leave you with one practical challenge for your week, okay? We, there was a, and then whoever's closing can close. We won't have any music because I'm not going to go over there and play guitar after this. <laughs> um, you can put on some background music in a second, all right? Um, we used to get together with a group of people trying to do community development at Aliquippa, and they were, they were just representatives of a few different groups. And what we decided was we wanted to like flesh this honor thing out, like really tangibly. So when we got together, the first thing we did was called the circle of honor. And we would just all tell something really good about somebody doing something in the community. It, not in the circle. So it was like, you know what? The mayor just did this. Or you know what? You know, uh, the folks down the street at the Franklin Center just, uh, they just put on this event. It was super awesome. You know, the school did this. So we were just like honoring and showing respect for different people playing their roles in our community. And it just built this culture of like, it's not about us. It's about the kingdom. It's about what God is doing. It's about all these other people playing their role. And so my challenge for you this week is find a way to like honor somebody that's not you, that you know, like just encourage them, honor them, like, I don't know, show them respect in some way. Um, yesterday, Galfua uh, bought, like I didn't know what she was, she had this idea to buy a gift for Mary Getz because Mary Getz's cohort just graduated from high school and it was like a big thing. And she was like, I'm gonna go buy her like a little gift and just give it to her. And like that's a picture of just like honoring somebody for what God is doing in them. And that's the kind of culture that we want to build. So that's all.